We're grateful that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. Uh, If you would, we're going to be in John chapter 13 for today's sermon. There was a husband and a wife who had been married for four decades. Very active lifestyle. But one day, things got tough. The husband's health got really bad. And the doctors, they just couldn't put a finger on what was going on. Specialists were in and out doctors, and they just couldn't figure it out. This gentleman, he was touch and go for a little bit. And finally, a ph- physician came in and communicated with the primary, his primary doctor, and they came up with this game plan. They talked to the wife, and they said, your husband is going to make it, but stress cannot be something that enters into the equation of his life again. With the ailment that he has, if stress is involved, it is not If he is going to make it or not, he might not make it through the day. So when your husband wakes up in the morning, we need you to make sure that his slippers are right there waiting on him, that his favorite breakfast is at the right temperature, and that cup of coffee is exactly how he likes it. And when he feels the stress coming and he has to go out with the guys and golf or bowl or watch the game, You are to send him off and bless him as he goes. And when he comes home in a bad mood, you are to do everything that you can to change that mood. The lunch that he is sent with must be spectacular, and the dinner that is waiting for him when he comes home must be phenomenal. Stress cannot be a part of his life, or we fear he is not going to make it. And since you are going to bear this heavy burden... for the rest of your life, we need you to go out into the lobby and share this with him and tell him exactly how it's going to go. The wife goes out into the waiting room. She grabs her husband by the shoulders, and she says, Honey, you're not going to make it. (laughs) Service can be tough in the best of situations with those that we love. But in the tough times, in the times when you have been hurt, in the times when you have been belittled, or when you've been passed over, or when you've been stressed, or when you are angry, service is not something that comes easy and comes naturally. Service and standing up for the king is just downright hard. In John chapter 13, John begins a new section within the book of John. Chapters 13 and 17 are only found in John, and without them we would know very little, excuse me, without them we would know very little about Jesus' instructions to his followers. And this section between chapters 13 and 17 is controlled by one purpose and one purpose only. It is Jesus' preparation for his followers for the immediate future which is the trauma and loss resulting from Jesus' crucifixion and burial and the time of his ascension. So Jesus knows that he has limited time with his disciples left, and so he is going to prepare them for his departure. And to say that what we are going to read today, the beginning of this week, is one of the most stress-filled weeks of Jesus' life, the most stress-filled week of his life because 
Shortly, he is going to endure crucifixion. And we're not just looking at a story that represents the most stress-filled week of Jesus' life, but the most stress-filled week any human has ever endured. No human has been stressed the way that Jesus is about to be. Later, we find Jesus in a garden, and he's sweating, but he's sweating blood. He feels distressed. And for Jesus to serve in this situation would be absolutely unthinkable. Because it's at moments like these, it's at moments when we feel the rush coming, when we know hard things are ahead, that what do we begin to do? We begin to look out for number one. It's time for self-absorption, for self-preservation. We throw up our walls and we look at only ourselves and we say, I have to do everything to protect myself. But what does our Lord and Savior do? What is it that Jesus does when he knows he is going to be the most stressed that he's ever been physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually? But before we turn there, and Ryan just read it, before we turn there, Luke adds a detail to this story that we don't actually find in John. In Luke chapter 22, verse 24, Luke says this, A dispute also rose among them as to which of them was regarded as the greatest. When they're sitting at the table, it's not some kumbaya moment or some great camp experience or not a spiritual mountaintop experience that maybe you've had when you were a kid or maybe something happened in your life and you were just on top. That is not where the disciples are. They're not sitting around the table loving one another and reflecting on what this ride has been like with Jesus and how grateful they are for one another. Instead, they're fighting about who is the greatest. They're ready for their crowns. They're ready for their palaces. Who gets to sit at Jesus' right? Who gets to sit at his left? And Jesus is entering into this room, and he has spent the better part of three years with these men. They've spent three years with the greatest teacher who has ever walked the earth, and he seemingly hasn't made a dent into who they are. Talk about stressed. This is the context of what Jesus does. The story in which he chooses to serve. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. The NIV says he showed them the extent of his love. Loved them to the end and showed them the extent of how much he loved him. And the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon, to betray him. And Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So Jesus got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin. 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall not wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have a bath need only to wash their feet, for their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord, and your teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I tell you the truth, no servant, I read that part, you will be blessed if you do them. More than any other writer in the New Testament, John uses a word meaning to know, something, to know something. And here John uses this word to point out what Jesus knows. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus knows his identity. In John 13, 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. That Jesus knows exactly where he has come from. Ben read earlier John 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. The Word was with God. Jesus knew where it was that he had come from and Jesus knew where he was going, that he was going to return to God. And it is through this knowledge, through his identity, that Jesus then begins to serve. And on top of that, not only does he know where he has come from and where he is going, but he knows his position, that his father had put all things under his power. What does that mean? It means that Jesus had a choice, that Jesus could have done anything that he wanted to do in that moment and for the rest of the week. Why? Because God had given him that authority. God had given him that power. Jesus knows who he is. He knows whose he is and what he is to be about and when he is to be about it. Earlier in John, Jesus' time has not yet come. John 7 and 8 says that. John 8, 20 these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. But now we find that the hour has come. So he knows who he is. He knows whose he is. He knows his mission. He knows his identity. And he knows what he is to be about and when he is about to do it. And it is from his identity that Jesus chooses to serve. It is from this knowledge. In fact, 
I believe Jesus wouldn't just say that he chooses to serve. I think Jesus would say, I am a servant. Mark 10, 45, what do we find Jesus saying? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't just see himself as somebody who serves. He saw himself as a servant. Richard Foster, in his uh, book, uh, Spiritual Disciplines, he says this. He says, when we choose to serve, we are still in charge. When we decide whom we will, we are still in charge. We decide whom we will serve and when we will serve. And if we are in charge, we will worry a great deal about anyone stepping on us. That is, taking charge over us. But when we choose to be a servant, we give up the right to be in charge. There's great freedom in this. If we voluntarily choose to be taken advantage of, then we cannot be manipulated. When we choose to be a servant, we surrender the right to decide who and when we will serve. We simply become available and vulnerable. Jesus entering into the most stress-filled week of his life knew he was about the Father's business, and that Father's business was that of serving. It's unpopular thinking today, but the truth is we have each come from God, and we are all, as believers, returning to God, and we need to allow those truths to dictate that which we do in between. We don't just live in a world that just came to be on its own where gravity pulled gas and dust and boom, the earth was created and our existence isn't one without meaning or significance and our chief job is to find happiness, to do what we please when we please and to look only after ourselves. That is not the world in which we live in. We live in one that was created, that was loved by God where there is purpose, where there is a beginning point, and then there is the rest. And it leads back to God. We have to ask ourselves, where do we come from and where are we headed? Because the answer to those questions dictates everything that happens in between. In the very next words, John says, so he got up. I think what Jesus understood that sometimes we forget is that your do flows from your who. What you do flows from who you are. Let me show you the difference between the two. When is the proper time for feet to be washed? Before dinner, during, or after? You guys can say, before. When did Jesus start washing? During. You could just feel the awkwardness of the situation. The disciples are at the table. No servant, no slave has come to wash their feet, though that was the custom. It was usually done by somebody not participating in the meal. And you could see the disciples as they are not really sitting at a table, more leaning with their feet behind them. Do we begin to eat? Do we not eat? How's this party going to get started? Well, Jesus hasn't mentioned it, so let's just pretend it's not a problem. 
It's kind of like when you sit at a dinner with a bunch of people and you're like, okay, somebody going to say the prayer or can we just go ahead and get started? Jesus, noticing that none of them have, and I don't think he expected it, he got up and he began to wash their feet. But Jesus did not go, ah, fine, since nobody else is going to do it, I'll do it, which I find myself all too often. We all know the dog needs to go outside and we just all wait for the other person, and then when we finally get up to do it, it's, ah, fine, I'll do it. Jesus does not have that attitude. He's got one different. Had the disciples viewed themselves as servants, they would have done it regardless, even if the task was too menial, too degrading, not for them. They would have done it anyways, not because, because they would see themselves as servants. When you see yourself as a servant, then no task is too great and no task is too small. The question is, how do I participate in this and how do I serve? And Jesus gets up. He begins to wash their feet. And you could hear a pin drop among each of the disciples because they were stunned. They were silent. They didn't know what to do with themselves. Service is always characterized by humility. The disciples of Jesus and us today, we cannot treat humility as a nice idea unrelated to the Christian life. They go hand in hand each and every time. Note that Jesus did not give up his position. He did not give up being Lord, and he did not give up being teacher. Verse 14 says that he is still both of those things. Or 13, you call me a teacher, you call me Lord, rightly so, for that is what I am. Instead, what Jesus did was he leveraged his position to elevate those that were around him by stooping down and getting water from a, getting water from a basin. He did not give up his position, he used his position to elevate them. Wednesday night, uh, I teach the, uh, the high school and young, adult, young adults over there. And we just got to talking, and I said, okay, who's your favorite boss and why? And who is your least favorite boss and why? Don't worry, Ryan, your name didn't come up for the worst. <laughs> just kidding. Who's your favorite boss? Who's your least favorite and why? Each of them, without fail, though they didn't use these exact words, were bosses, their favorite ones, were ones that chose to serve them, that chose to empower them, that chose to see something in them that they didn't see themselves and to elevate them and to serve them. The least favorite bosses were ones who lorded it over them. I'm your boss and you are going to do this. There's nothing that you can do about it. The position is the same. The attitude toward those who are under you looks different. Why do we have conversations like that? Because I believe in that class there's people who will become bosses. There's people who will have high positions. May they never forget that their position is always one of service. Their attitude is always one of what can I do for those who are under me to show them that I love them and that I care. That's what Jesus does. He didn't make any of the others Lord. He didn't make them teacher. But he chose to serve them. I know what we're doing today is taking a break from our series on elders. 
and shepherds as we go through the selection. But make no mistake, shepherds serve the sheep. The position of eldership is always one of service. And I got to say, I appreciate Kent and Charlie so much for the service that they do, for the way that they take care of the sheep, for the way that they look after us. I have quite a few stories just of the way that they've done it for my family. Whether it's Charlie sending me cards when things got tough and just saying, hey, hang in there. What was he doing? He was choosing to serve. When I know that he takes care of people who can't be in here on Sunday morning because they're sick and he takes them shopping, what's he choosing to do? He's choosing to serve. Or the countless hours Kent has spent with many of us in this room sharing heartache, talking, sharing burdens, What's he choosing to do? How can I serve? I have purposely left Kent out of meetings because if I told him about the meeting, he would say, okay, I'm going to be there. And what I want him to know is, yes, I want him there, but I also want to free him up to do other things. But because of his servant heart, he will try to be there even if it's way too much. We have shepherds who serve and who care for the sheep. We have deacons who serve. They wouldn't like like me to mention it. By the way, a true servant is one who usually always doesn't want you to mention it. Billy and Keith were here all week this week working downstairs, serving. We have deacons who put countless hours in putting together the budget, working on uh, the accounting side of things, the AV You mention it, if something is happening here, it's because you have people in high positions who are choosing to serve. And I know that as soon as I start mentioning names, you leave other people out, and that was not my intention. But this congregation is blessed to have men and to have women who choose to serve and to put needs of the church first. Humility, along with service, is never an option. If you were to lay John chapter 13, I'm going to ask Nick to come up. I didn't prepare him before this much. Um, If you were to lay John chapter 13 on top of Philippians chapter 2, it would look a little bit like this. Who being in very nature God... Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, did not consider equality from God something to be grasped. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment. Rather, he made himself nothing. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. By taking the very nature of a servant. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Thanks, Nick. You can lay Philippians chapter 2 onto any act of service. Why? Because it's the attitude of Jesus Christ who didn't consider his position, didn't consider where he came from, something to be grasped. Instead, he became 
a servant. The hard part about humility is it's not something that we can strive for. That we can say, hey, I'm going to become humble. And I'm going to do it by doing all these great things. And I hope people see them. I think the only way that humility is gained is through service. And the only way to do true service is through humility. It's kind of this loop, this paradox. I can't separate the two. How do I put them both together? And it goes back to our identity. Where do we come from and where are we going? As Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, we note that Jesus' service was not dependent on the others in the room. This text mentioned it. Who was going to betray him? It was Judas. And the text could have read, and Jesus went around to eight of them, and when he got to Judas, he looked at him in the eye, and he said, you dirty scoundrel, I'm not going to wash your feet. You will leave with dirty feet. I'm going on to Peter. He's got some things to say. It's not what Jesus does. Instead, he gets to Judas, we assume, and he begins to wash his feet, even though he knew exactly what Judas was there for and exactly what Judas was going to do. How often do we, as disciples of Jesus, how often do we choose to serve based off what others have done for us, based off what others think about us? How, do, how often do we say, I'm not going to go there because they have done this and they have said this about me. So there's no way that I'm going to serve them. Jesus' attitude is one that is different. He doesn't care. He chooses to serve each and every time. He washes feet. So often we pick and choose. What am I going to do? Who am I going to do it for? Are they worthy? Those are asking ourselves the wrong questions. How can I serve the way that Jesus did? And the way that Jesus served, it has no bounds. There is no box. He serves everyone. Sacrificial service can have an impact that you may never even know about. Question, this little bit of audience participation. How many of the Gospels talk about Jesus's, Jesus washing feet? There's four Gospels, one, two, three, or four. So just by a show of hands, put one, two, three, or four. How many Gospels talk about Jesus washing feet? Guys, come on. Audience, don't look around you. Just put a number up. Three. Five. No. There you go. There you go. Four. I didn't... I'm kind of embarrassed, but I didn't know this until I began to study. There is only one gospel that talks about Jesus washing feet at the Last Supper, and it is John. Who is the one known for arguing about the position about greatness? It is John with his brother. Where am I going to sit? Who is greater? Why does John include this story? I think because it profoundly impacted who he was that day because while he's sitting there arguing about where should I be Jesus is washing feet and while the other gospels talk about betrayal 
While the other Gospels talk about what Jesus did with the bread and the cup, John remembers the time when he was rocked to the, to the core by what Jesus did toward him. Because Jesus showed him a different way. Washing feet was much deeper than just washing feet. Because later it would lead to Jesus' death. And for the rest of John's life, I think he went back to this moment. Because 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, it's all about love. Love one another. Do good to one another. That doesn't sound like somebody who's always vying for position and fighting to be the greatest. It sounds like somebody who has learned what humility looks like because he was served by the one who was humble. In verse 14, Jesus says, You should wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example. Wouldn't be a sermon if I said, Hey, here's what Jesus did, and you don't need to do it as well. The truth is, is that it serves as an example for us. And so I have three things that I want to leave you with. Serve as though a bigger picture is involved. Serve as though there's something greater than yourself. Matthew 25, when did we give you something to drink? Or when did we feed you or clothe you or visit you? What was the response? Whatever you did to the least of these, you have done for me. Paul, when he's in prison, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, he says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The little thing that you did for me was a fragrant offering to God. The things that we do to one another, it's not just about serving one another. We are serving God at the same time. There is a bigger picture involved. We do things, little things like this. Hey, watch what I can do. And God says, I'm going to make that so much bigger. Through your little thing, I'm going to make it a bigger thing. Serve as though there is something greater at hand. Serve where there is a need. Find a place to serve. Somebody needs a hug, you hug them. Somebody needs cards, you write them. Somebody has work that needs to be done, you do it. Somebody needs someone to listen to them, you be the ear. You find a need, you look for a need, and you serve where there is one. It was probably back in 2016, uh, in 2016, uh, my grandfather had, um, he had passed away, and funerals in Nebraska, Katie and I, we didn't have uh, money, and so I said, well, I just can't go to the funeral. Uh, I want to, Mom, but I can't. We don't have the money uh, set aside. Uh, there was a couple in uh, Norfolk, Adam and Heidi Picker. They heard that I wasn't going to go because we didn't have money. And shortly after, I get a call, and then I get a check in the mail that says, go buy your plane ticket. It's on us. What they do? They saw a need, and they filled it. It greatly has impacted the way that I view finances. 
How can we serve? Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Look for a need. I can guarantee you, if you look for it, you will find it. Serve as a way of creating community among others. True service, Foster says this, he says, true service builds community. It quietly and unpretentiously goes about caring for the needs of others. It draws, it binds, it heals, and it builds. Serving one another builds community. Paul would say it this way, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use that freedom as an opportunity for the, la- for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You're called to be free. And now use that freedom to submit yourselves to one another. There's a variety of ways that you can serve in this church. I'm not going to go through them all because I know I'm running high on time. But one of them next week, we have a work day. Okay? Now, I don't think this is exactly what Jesus meant here, but I want to point out that next week we have a work day, and we want you to come, and we want you to bring your kids. Danielle Mullen is, has projects for the little kids. So I know sometimes we say, hey, I can't bring my kids. They can't get on a lawnmower. They can't rake, that kind of thing. We'll have projects just for them. Use it as an opportunity to serve in a way that creates and builds community and gets your kids to buy in on what we are doing here in this church. Who are you going to serve? Look, on the back of your handout, I didn't put any notes. Um, I've been, bat- I don't know if you can tell, but I've been battling sickness and I didn't get to notes. Well, that's not true. Sometimes I just never get to notes, even if I'm not. <laughs> on the back of your handout, okay, it says notes. Write this question. Who are you going to serve? Question. What, in what way are you going to serve them this week? It's one thing to say, I'm going to be a servant of all and I'm going to do good things to everyone. Those are good thoughts, but we never get to those. It's another to say, I've noticed this and this is what I'm going to do about it. I've hurt this person. And so now I'm going to choose to serve them. Or they've hurt me. And I'm going to choose to make things right. Who are you going to serve? And in what way are you going to serve them? The very end of the reading, verse 17. Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Because the blessing comes not from knowing. The blessing comes from the doing. So as a church, go and do. Later in John, he says, for all men will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. How did Jesus show the full extent of his love? He began by washing feet. And he didn't stop there. It went on to death, to burial, to resurrection. It was a sacrifice 
that he made because he knew it was exactly what they needed. In what way are you going to serve this week? What sacrifice are you going to make on behalf of somebody else? Because you know they need Jesus just as much as you do. Let's go ahead and stand and sing.